Can y'all hear me? Okay. This past summer, my sister and my niece and I ran the Jackson Hole Half Marathon. We were in the Teton Mountains in Wyoming. And the three of us enjoy running races together. And we traveled to races before, but we never traveled out west for a race. I quickly realized there was going to be obstacles for me to overcome on this course. So first, in the weeks leading up to the race, I had friends ask me, how are you training to run in the altitude? And in my arrogance, I thought, okay, I run in the Memphis humidity. How bad can it be to run in the altitude? I'll be the judge of that altitude issue. Well, that was my first obstacle. Because the race started, and at mile two, I got really sick. And then I got really sick at mile four, and then I got really sick at mile six. My self-righteous attitude about how well I could run in the mountains was my first obstacle in finishing the race. The next obstacle came at about mile seven. It was a checkpoint, and volunteers were handing out water and freeze pops. Now, y'all know what a freeze pop is. It's a popsicle, not on a stick, but in that long plastic tube, and you cut the top off, and you squeeze a popsicle out and eat it. I took an orange one, not smart. And like the other runners, I ate it while I ran. So consequently, in a few minutes, I was covered in orange, sticky goo. And that's when I realized, because I'd gotten sick, I was really far behind in the race. So I could see way ahead of me, there was no one, no runners. I could see behind me, and there were no runners. And that's when the course turned and went in the woods. Now I'm running as fast as I can, smelling like a big orange popsicle, not sure I'm on course when I see this sign in the woods. And it says, be bear aware. So now you know I'm doing everything you're not supposed to do in bear country. I'm running as fast as I can, smelling like a big orange popsicle. And now I'm afraid. And so I'm praying, Lord, please protect me. Get me through this part of the course with my sister and my niece, who, by the way, had no problem with the altitude. They were fine. And then I was thinking, Lord, this was not my plan for this race. I had a different plan. I had a different will. That's not how I thought this race was going to go. So in a minute, I'm going to tell you how his plan was so perfect for me. Obviously, I didn't get eaten by a bear. But I want to tell you first about one other obstacle I faced on another race. And that was when I was running, the gentleman next to me collapsed and fell unconscious. Typically, when that happens, runners flock to help. But in this instance, myself and another woman tended to him. I later learned he was a professional football player, and I can attest to that because he was the biggest guy I've ever seen. We were trying to help him, and we needed help. Two runners ran past us, and before I could yell for them, they watched, and then they kept running. And I remember thinking, wow, to what gain? Their gain was a faster race time. That's it. It's self. A self-focus is an obstacle in any race. In these races, it was my self-righteous attitude, my will as opposed to God's will and plan, and what appeared, certainly appeared to be self-gain at the expense of others. It's self. James, 
And his message to his readers and to us, we've got to overcome this obstacle of self. A self-focus is an obstacle to, finish, to finishing strong in our spiritual race. So we're going to look at how we need to avoid these same three things in our spiritual race to stand firm. We need to avoid self-righteousness. We need to avoid our self-will. And we need to avoid self-gain. So first, to overcome the obstacle of self, we need to avoid self-righteousness. And we're looking at James 4, 11 and 12. So as we go through this lesson, we're going to look at our big be bear aware signs. So we're going to start with our be bear aware signs that we're acting self-righteously. The first one is if we speak against or judge a sister. So we're looking at James 4, 11. It says, do not speak against one another, brethren. He who speaks against a brother or judges his brother, and then he says, speaks against the law or judges the law. Two things right off James tells us we're not to do. Speak against or judge a brother. Now, because James was writing to believers, and because we're amongst women, I'm going to say sisters here, we're not to speak against or judge a sister. And then he says, because if you do, you're judging the law, speaking against and judging the law. So what law is he referring to? If we go back to chapter 2 and verse 8, it says, you're fulfilling the royal law according to scripture. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. This is in Leviticus 19. 18, it was commanded by Jesus in Matthew, we are to love our neighbor. It's the law of love. We judge this law if we don't obey it. Here's what I'm talking about. Have you ever been driving and you've driven for miles and then you're in the middle of nowhere and you've not seen anyone and there's a red light? And you think, that's the stupidest place for a red light why is that red light there? Maybe y'all don't do that. Maybe I'm the only one that does that. But I think that's just not a good place for a red light. If I don't obey that law, I'm judging it. I think I'm exempt from it. So if I speak against or judge a sister, I'm not obeying the law of love. I'm judging it. I'm so self-righteous that I'm exempt from it. I worked as a psychiatric nurse for 17 years at a hospital. During that time, I had friends come to the hospital for treatment. I had friends of friends come to the hospital, and I met patients. I took an oath as their nurse for their privacy that I would not share their personal health information. I also have to abide by HIPAA the Health Insurance Portability and Accountability Act. I know y'all are familiar with HIPAA. It's serious business. It's a federal law. According to HIPAA, I'm not to share anything 
about any patient at any time outside the hospital setting and my coworkers unless they're a danger to themselves or others. So this is very convicting for me. As I was studying this lesson, I've never broken that law. In 17 years, I've never shared a name of a patient. Why in the world would I not abide by the law decreed by the King of Kings and break the law of love and speak against or judge my sister? And it's because I can have a self-righteous attitude. If I speak negatively of a sister and say something condemning, I make myself judge. I exalt myself above God. And this is what James says in verse 12. Who are you to judge your neighbor? There's only one lawgiver and judge, only one righteous to judge. And really, there's only one who truly knows the heart of my sister. But here's what happens. Somebody, a sister or someone speaks critically of me or my children, or goodness knows, my grandchildren. <laughs> and I tell cricket. Right? Because this injustice has happened. They've said something. And I want her to agree with me that what they did was wrong. And we always preface it with God bless them. But they said this. And so I have exalted myself for one minute. I want to be right. And have somebody agree with me that what they did was wrong. But that's not what the Lord wants us to do. If we go back to chapter 4, this is what we learned last week. And verse 10, humble yourself in the presence of the Lord. He will exalt you. That's what we want. We want to love God so that we can love our sister and not speak against her or judge her. So our first be bear wear sign that we are self-righteous is speaking against or judging a sister. A second be bear aware sign is if we confront others with a critical spirit. Now, the New Testament doesn't forbid all judgment. And clearly, James confronts negative behaviors of believers in his own letter. And there may be times that we need to confront a sister. The question is, are we doing it in love with something beneficial to say? Or are we doing it with a negative and critical spirit. In my own life, I found it really hard to confront a sister. But if I pray for her, like truly, truly pray for her, wanting what's best for her, pray to have the courage to do it at the right time, at the right place, when the Lord directs, it's so much better than speaking against her or judging her. And I can lay my head down at night and think, okay, Lord, that was pleasing to you. To confront her with something beneficial to say in love and not with a critical spirit. Thankfully, God in his goodness did not leave us here to do this on our own because we have the power of the Holy Spirit. We can pray with a humble heart and confess any self-righteousness. We can pray to love our sister and not speak against her. And we learned when we studied James in chapter 1 that we can ask for wisdom. 
Because God is the giving God who gives generously, and he especially wants to give with regard to wisdom. You know, he gave each other, us each other, to live in unity and to build each other up. If we humble ourselves before him, he lifts us up, and then we, in turn, can lift each other up. A self-righteous attitude can lead to slandering a sister. If there's a sister that comes to mind, claim this verse. I know, for me, I had to memorize it. I needed it. To overcome the obstacle of self, first we need to avoid self-righteousness by humbling ourselves in the presence of the Lord, asking for wisdom and discernment, to love our sister, not speak against her or judge her, not confront her with a critical spirit, because we want to run the race and stand firm in our faith. So to overcome the obstacle of self, we need to avoid self-righteousness, And second, to overcome the obstacle of self, we need to avoid self-will. Now we're looking at James 4, 13 through 17, where James warns about self-will, where we're so focused on our will as opposed to God's will. And we're going to look at our be bear aware signs of a self-will. The first one is we make plans without considering God. In verse 13, James says, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we'll go to such and such a city and spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit. So James lays out the plans these businessmen of his day are making. They're going to go today or tomorrow. They're going to a particular town. They're going to spend a year there. They're going to trade and they're going to make a profit. If you think about it, none of those things are sinful in and of themselves. There's just no mention of God. They're not seeking God's will for their plans. And I believe he wants us to ask him about the big plans, the small plans, our big decisions, small decisions. One thing I like to pray for my family, for myself and my husband, that we live, work, worship, and serve where he'd have us. Planning when we don't include God is wrong. But thankfully, James doesn't say planning is wrong. I have two precious daughter-in-laws that I love more than life, and they are so sweet and precious to me when I text them in March about Thanksgiving plans. And that's really not that far off. You can ask them. I'm thankful that there are scriptures that encourage planning. Two of them are Luke 14:28, where Jesus says, Which one of you, when he wants to build a tower, doesn't first sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it? Before you build a tower, you better plan for the cost and make sure you've got enough money to complete it. And my favorite, Proverbs 16:9. The mind of man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. We plan, but the Lord is over every step of the way. Are there any decisions in your life that you need to pray about and put God front and center in your planning? For me, I know when I go it alone, I fail. God is our sovereign Lord, and he wants us to seek his will with our plans. 
So our first big be bear aware sign that we're focused on our will is we make plans without considering God. The next one is we make plans as if we're the ones in control. James gives a strong message and warning to these businessmen about their self-sufficient attitudes. Not only were they making plans without considering God, they were boasting about the plans and the financial profit they were going to make. They were planning as if they were in control of the outcome. And James says in verse 14, you don't know what your life will be like tomorrow. And then he goes on to describe our lives like a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes. We don't know what to ha- will happen tomorrow. We learned that last year, that our lives can change in an instant. In 2019, Chuck and I, my husband, were making plans about our finances and our jobs. And then 2020 hit. And all of a sudden, I'm thinking, am I going to have a job? Is he going to have a job? If we have jobs, are we going to be able to do our jobs? If I didn't trust in a sovereign God that was absolutely, totally in control of the year 2020, I would be absolutely hopeless. But I knew if I lost my job and we suffered financially, and if Chuck lost his job, we would suffer really financially. But God was never going to leave us or forsake us. He was going to carry us all the way through it, no matter what happened. And I know this because it's in his word, and I know this now at my age because I've lived it over and over and over and over. Our security lies in the Lord, not in ourselves, not in our jobs, not in our 401k, or any of our finances. We do need to plan and be responsible. But with an understanding that we're not in control, we are totally dependent on God. But the best part, he loves us beyond comprehension, more than we can ever imagine, so we can trust him. James says in verse 15, Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we'll live and do this or that. Thank goodness the Lord is in control and not us. So when we say, well, Lord willing, we can mean it. We can know and trust him. His will may not be what we planned. But his plan is going to be always what is best for us. It was not my plan to run through bear country smelling like a big orange bear snack. (laughs) But what happened was a highlight of my trip. Because when I was running through the woods, I recognized that I was desperately dependent on God. It was just me and the Lord through that part of the course. Had it gone my way, I'd had a lot of runners with me as I ran through there. But instead, it was just me and the Lord. And I'm praying and asking for protection and focused on Him. And then the course turned, and this is what I saw. It was beautiful pasture and the Teton Mountains in the distance. And it was the sweetest time of fellowship and praise and worship of God and his goodness. And I was still by myself. Those were the three cheerleaders left. (laughs) That was it. Those three ladies. It was a sweet time. It was not my plan. And what I thought was going to be horrible and fearful 
turned out to be just a glorious, sweet time. So our be bear aware signs that we're focused on our will is if we make plans without considering God. We make plans as if we're in control. And we don't do what we know to be right. In verse 17, James says, Therefore, to one who knows the right thing to do and doesn't do it, to him it's a sin. It's a sin of omission. If we know the right thing to do and we don't do it, it's still a sin. This is hard too. Because it might be not forgiving someone that we know we need to forgive. It might be that we've been unkind or not loving to someone that we know we need to be kind to and that we know we need to show love to. Maybe because it's a sister who thinks differently than us. Maybe she thinks differently at work with regard to work or relationships. Or in this society, a mask, a vaccine, politics. Any, there's so many things. But I know that in my own life, unconfessed sin makes my relationship with the Lord stagnant. When it's the right thing to do and we don't do it, it's still sin. And it, if we don't confess it, it can hinder our walk with the Lord. We need to avoid a self-will by having a humble attitude about our plans. We need to put God in front and center in our planning, recognizing He's in control, thankfully, and not us. We can trust his perfect plan, and then we've got to do what we know is the right thing to do. So we can run the race and stand firm in our faith. So to overcome the obstacle of self, we need to avoid self-righteousness. We need to avoid a self-will. And third, we need to avoid self-gain. And we're looking at James 5, 1 through 6. Big, be bear aware sign that we're focused on our self-gain is if we don't have a godly perspective about wealth. James here in these verses gives a warning to rich men with regard to how they behaved. They idolized wealth to the extent that they mistreated their laborers, righteous people that worked in their fields. And they were keeping the riches for themselves, for their own luxury and self-indulgence. They were hoarding it so much that it corroded, and judgment was ahead for them. In chapter 5 and verse 4, James tells his readers that the cries of those laborers reached the ears of the Lord. What a blessing that would have been for his James readers to hear, and what a blessing it is for us to know when we're mistreated, we can cry out to the Lord, and he hears us. You know, none of us are exempt from idolizing wealth, even as believers. We probably don't mistreat the poor, but I know I've certainly been affected by materialism. In Paul's letter to Timothy, he gives us some guidance on the perspective of wealth. It's in 1 Timothy 6. He says we should be content, not long to be rich. We should not fix our hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on the gods who supplies us with everything that we need. Neither Paul nor James is saying that wealth is wrong. It's neither good nor bad. It's our perspective about it. I know wealthy people who give and give and give to the poor. I know wealthy people who hoard 
their money, and they're miserable. I also never want to be so self-focused that I am insensitive to those around me suffering. I don't think I'll ever forget those runners that ran past us seeing that we needed help and kept going. If we have the right perspective and humble attitude about our money, the pride of wealth won't be an obstacle in our spiritual maturity and we can stand firm in our faith. We want to watch out for our be bear aware signs of self-righteousness, self-will, and self-gain because we don't want the obstacle of self to block our path. So how do we know? How do we avoid self-righteousness, self-will, and self-gain? It comes down to two words. Humble yourself. We go back to James 4.10. James says, We're to humble ourselves in the presence of the Lord. He will exalt us. Now, I'm thinking that this is not the first time James has heard this. Because his own brother, our Lord Jesus, said, Whoever humbles himself shall be exalted. It's recorded in Matthew and it's recorded twice in Luke. Maybe James heard it from his brother, our Lord and Savior. And if not, maybe he heard it from his mother. Mary, in her song of praise to God for bringing redemption to the world, said, He has exalted those who are humble. And we learned last week that Peter said it. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you at the proper time. Humility comes in entrusting our lives to him. When we say, here, Lord, take self, myself. I don't want to cause conflict with speaking against and judging a sister with self-righteousness. I don't want to fight for my will as opposed to your will. I don't want to fight for my wants instead of what you want for me. We hand self over to God. He will exalt us. He will lift us up now and in the kingdom to come. When we think of obstacles in a race, blocking our path, we think of going around them, jumping over them, trudging through them. But when we think of our spiritual race, think of what Mary taught last week about the word humble. It means to bring low. We bow. If I did that in a race, I would be just trampled. But in a spiritual race, that's what we want to do. Humble ourselves in the presence of the Lord. Because we need a faith in the one true God that produces a genuine humility and obedience so we can stand firm and finish strong in our, our race to spiritual maturity. We're all running this race. And we all face the obstacle of self. How are you doing in this area? Which of the three do you struggle with the most? Are you paying attention to the beat? Be bare aware signs. Will you push in your own strength or humble yourself and draw from God's strength to stand firm? If we're going to overcome the obstacle of self, we've got to embrace humility. Let's run the race together and encourage each other to stand firm. Let's pray. Dear Lord Jesus, please help us open us our eyes to where we can see the obstacle of self and where it's blocking our path. 
And we humble ourselves to you, Lord. We want to draw near to you and submit to you for your will in our lives that we can stand firm and finish strong in our race to spiritual maturity in you. We love you, Lord Jesus. Amen.